Our guest today, former Congressman Pete McCloskey, served in the House from 1967 to 1983. Currently, he is challenging the powerful Richard Pombo for the Republican Party's nomination in California's 11th District. Pombo, a protege of House Leader Tom DeLay, has been much in the news of late for his links to disgraced lobbyist Jack Abramoff. Pombo has spearheaded an effort to neuter the Endangered Species Act. Pete McCloskey, our guest, was co-author of the Endangered Species Act, and he's displeased about these efforts by Pombo. Mr. McCloskey's quite familiar with the art of standing up to politicians in power. In 1972, he challenged sitting President Richard M. Nixon to be the Republican presidential candidate. This is rarely done given the awesome power of an incumbent to squash opposition. But Pete McCloskey felt that the war in Vietnam and the administration's policies in support of it needed to be challenged, not just from the opposite side of the political aisle, but from within Republican ranks as well. As we see growing opposition within the GOP to extreme conservatives running the show, we find it refreshing to see former Yolo County resident Pete McCloskey coming out of retirement to offer an alternate perspective. The Los Angeles Times said in referring to the contest in the 11th Congressional District, Pete McCloskey is the best thing that could happen for the district, the state, the nation, and possibly the Republican Party. Congressman McCloskey has written four books. He's taught legal ethics at Stanford and the University of Santa Clara. The Palo Alto law firm he founded has grown to be California's largest. He served as a Marine Second Lieutenant in Korea, where he received the Navy Cross and Silver Star, and he's here to talk to us today. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Pete McCloskey. Yes, sir. In the introduction, sir, I noted that you're unhappy with Richard Pombo's efforts to curtail the Endangered Species Act. Can we start by talking about that? Well, I'll tell you that one thing that he's put into this uh, attempted amendment to the Endangered Species Act, he's put in a five-year moratorium on the use of pesticides in uh, endangered species areas, and you may remember we saved the bald eagle from extinction by banning DDT, which was making the eagle unable to reproduce. The eggs would get too thin. So the eagle is back, uh, probably going to be taken off the endangered species shortly, but this man, uh, uh, I mean, the five-year moratorium could endanger a lot of species, and I couldn't understand why he put that in until I found that one of his trips was funded by the the Monsanto Chemical Company, who paid $115,000 to a foundation of which he was one of the directors and uh, paid for a trip to Japan and New Zealand for him. Uh, This man votes wherever the money is. Well, we're talking about the environment. I know that Charles Hurwitz has been notorious for clear-cutting of old-growth redwoods, and I understand that Mr. Pombo's also gone to his aid. Well, Hurwitz uh, has practically raped the last old-growth redwoods in Northern California, but this was a different deal back in the savings and loan frauds. uh, He was going bankrupt, and the the federal mortgage people were trying to recover money from him, and Pombo interceded, uh, subpoenaed the documents before his committee, and then produced the documents in the public record, which apparently, uh, according to the government agency, hurt their ability, ended their ability to prosecute Hurwitz. Uh, Why a California congressman would intercede on behalf of Hurwitz, uh, the raper of the Redwoods, I don't know. I I mean, this this guy has an agenda that I just don't understand. Well, what is it you find most objectionable about him, and what what got you motivated to challenge him? The most objectionable thing is, is that he wants to gut the Endangered Species Act. That's just one. He also wants to sell off 15 national parks, including one named after the Republican father of uh, modern conservation, Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt Island in the middle of the Potomac River, uh, he wanted to sell it off for development, wanted to turn it into a housing development. 
Uh, last year, he uh, introduced or tried to introduce a provision in a bill which would have given 600,000 acres of mining claim lands in California to sell it at a bargain price to mining companies for development. And he believes in this. He's written a book that uh, says he wants to privatize the public lands. Well, half of Northern California uh, are public lands, and to privatize them, I think, would uh, further urban sprawl, materially hurt the enjoyment of life in Northern California. I, I uh, am getting angrier and angry with him the more I see his votes. I note that you were on the um, Will and Willie show uh, with with our with our friend Will Durst in this program. After hearing your positions, uh, Durst asked you, "Are you sure you're a Republican?" Well, of course I'm a Republican. <laughs> I, I let, let me say this. In 1948, when I was 21, I became a Republican because the Democratic Party was the party of the solid South, and I was a civil rights lawyer, and I didn't believe that we got to keep putting down blacks, as, as Strom Thurmond and a whole bunch of other Democrats uh, wanted to do. Uh, you don't change the party just because the party uh, changes. The party now, remember, we used to be a party of uh, keeping the government out of private lives, uh, balanced budgets, fiscal responsibility, limited government uh, balanced environment. The Republican Party today, under the House leadership of DeLay, the rest of these fellows, Bombo, uh, Doolittle, they don't value any of these. In fact, uh, I might say that it was only two years ago the man who was the public spokesman for uh, for Bombo, a political consultant named Wayne Johnson, when he was asked about Bombo, he says, well, maybe he isn't a real Republican. He's uh, a Republican in name only. Uh, he, he talks like a Republican, but he votes like a member of the N American Independent Party. Well, that's George Wallace's old party. That's not the Republican Party. I, uh, I run hoping that perhaps uh, the Republican Party can be pushed back towards a balanced position. Can we talk about the current GOP and how it is strayed from those original principles, starting with fiscal responsibility? They enacted a $9 trillion debt ceiling a few days ago. What's your reaction to that? That's, that's a classic. Uh, here's a Republican that says he wants to cut the budget. He voted for that bill. He voted not to cut the budget. He voted for the trillion-dollar deficits. He said he's going to vote to uh, make the tax cuts permanent, which will add more trillions to the deficit. Uh, so I say, this is no Republican value I ever heard about. You were a deputy DA in Alameda County. You mentioned that you've taught legal ethics. You've been a civil rights lawyer. What's your reaction to this whole wiretapping controversy in the Patriot Act? Let me say about wiretapping. I was in the Congress in 1978 when we enacted the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, and we specifically said in an emergency the president could get the wiretap in the national security interest if he went to a court within three days to get a warrant. Uh, the president has said, well, I'm not bound by that provision. I'm the commander-in-chief, and by golly, I don't have to obey the law. That's an incredible position. Uh, since, 19, I guess it was 2004, in a case that's decided by Chief Justice Marshall, uh, he decided that a president, once Congress acted and limited the president's powers, even in war, the president couldn't exceed those powers because Congress has the right to set the laws that presidents will obey. And for a man to say, uh, you know, I'm not going to abide by what Congress says, either on torture or on wiretapping, I think uh, it casts grave doubt about the Republican leadership of this country right now, and Congress should not go along with it. Do you see anyone in the GOP who can maybe move things away from this Karl Rove, Dick Cheney, Christian Wright brand of republicanism? You know, I was elected to Congress in 67, same year as George Bush Sr. was. And when George Bush Sr., who was a fine man, campaigned for the presidency, I campaigned for him and spoke for him in 1988, uh, he wouldn't have had anything to do 
with Brad Robertson at that time, and yet Brad Robertson now sits at the right hand of President Bush. Uh, the Christian fundamentalists, uh, President, the second President Bush has adopted, and I, uh, I think it's a tragedy. A, a great Republican senator named Jack Danforth said the other day that he thought the Christian right wing had hijacked the Republican Party. We used to be a party that treasured the separation between church and state, which was not to say that churches couldn't engage in political action, but politicians did not couple political power with religious conviction. That, uh, that's been our Constitution. I think one of the saving graces of our country since the Bill of Rights was founded, that Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion. Pat Robertson doesn't believe that, and it appears that, that the President George Bush doesn't either. Well, I, I was quite fascinated in, in researching for this talk with you uh, today, Congressman, that uh, that you served with the with Virginia Senators uh, Pat Absalom Robertson's son, Pat, uh, back in the Korean War days, and you observed how the TV evangelist was spared combat through his father's intervention. And of course, this has not stopped him from being quite the war hawk at present. Could you just give us a little bit of background about your 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 personal battles with Pat Robertson? Well. I happened to be one of, I think, 46 young second lieutenants on our way to Korea in January 1951. The Marine Division had just uh, taken a, a beating, although it had fought its way out of 100,000 Chinese at the Chosin Reservoir. And Robertson, all the way on the ship, kept saying, uh, I ain't going into combat with you fellows. My daddy's a U.S. senator. He's going to keep me out of combat. And we uh, thought that was baloney and said so. But when we got to Japan, we drew cold-weather gear and live ammunition, and we were setting out for Korea the next day. And lo and behold, a Marine Corps colonel comes down from uh, Tokyo, and he says, I, uh, I want somebody to help train these casualties coming out of the hospitals. And the draft commander said, well, I, you know, I've got 15 people here that fought in World War II. And that guy says, no, give me your roster. And he points down, and he says, I'll take this one. Pat Roberts, <laughs> and then he took Ed Gaines, who was his uh, friend from Washington and Lee and three others, but uh, they were kept in Japan for four months, and finally the Chinese asked for a truce, and one of the young lieutenants said, hey, we, we ought to go to Korea, and uh, so they all went to Korea, but Robertson became the division liquor officer. He never heard a shot fired in anger. He uh, and I under, this is understandable, because his father was Senator A. Willis Robertson. He was chairman of the Subcommittee on Appropriations for the Armed Services. He had the power to either abolish the Marine Corps, which Harry Truman at one time wanted to do, or preserve the Marine Corps. And uh, any event, they kept Cap Pat out of combat. He became the liquor officer. He later <laughs> sued me, thinking he'd stop this story uh, for $35 million. But on the eve of the elections, uh, Super Tuesday in 19... Was in 1988. He had the choice of either dismissing the suit and admitting that I had told the truth, or proceeding with the presidential election. And he kept. He decided that the presidency was more important. But by the time he announced that, uh, everybody knew he chickened out in Korea, and he chickened out on the lawsuit like he chickened out 30 was it 37 years earlier in Korea. Right. And he went uh, down to a bad third. He was running second to Bush at that time in 1988. He bypassed Bob Dole, who was running third. And I, uh, as I say, Pat, George Bush sent me, the senior sent me a note. He says, Pete, this is probably the only the good thing you've ever done in politics, is rid the world of Pat Robertson as a presidential <laughs> candidate. Congressman, if you did nothing else, that is, that is a, a, a solid plus. You know, it's a funny thing. Uh, 
about had gone to combat, gone into, most of those lieutenants were killed or wounded, all but four. If he'd gone in and been a platoon leader and survived, he might be president. He, he was a very personable young man. And, hmm. uh, I mean, of course, he's a great fraud today, uh, but uh, <laughs> he's showing his true colors. But can you imagine him having been elected president? We're speaking with former congressman and current congressional candidate, Pete McCloskey. You retired from the Marine Corps Reserves in 1974 as a colonel. You've written about your combat experiences in the taking of Hill 610. You know something about war. Can you comment about the situation in Iraq, particularly with regard to how it now seems to be comparing to that quagmire that was Vietnam? Well, there's two comparables. We, first, we were led into it by presidential deceit. You remember Lyndon Johnson said there'd been a second attack on the Turner Joy, and later that turned out to be false, but Congress gave him the power to make the war. Uh, in Iraq, the parallels are clear. The president was guilty of deceit. Uh, uh, there were no weapons of mass destruction. There was no provable connection between Saddam Hussein and uh, al-Qaeda. But they, we were there, and my old regiment, the 5th Marines, was one of the first into Baghdad. But since that time, they've been three times back. And we're now an occupying power. We're not uh, overturning a despot. We are trying to say, we want you to have a democratic government. We want the elections to go our way. And we're going to stay here until we're satisfied you have a stable government. That was the same view in Vietnam, as you remember. There were elections held, but they were phony elections. Uh, the people could not accept uh, the ruling class that won those elections, rigged the elections. And the worst thing is that we're an occupying power, and our young Marines and soldiers, who I revere, I'm in awe of the ability of these young men, they're now an occupying power, and they're viewed as occupiers, not as liberators. And to a man, they tell me that when they leave, there's going to be a civil war. Iraq is going to govern Iraq. Uh, Iraqis are going to decide what kind of a government, and if we leave in six months or six years, there's still going to be a civil war. But America is creating more insurgents through this occupation, more hatred around the world than we are winning by preserving this uh, structure, trying to train battalions of police and military. But those battalions are not made up equally of Sunni and Shia and Kurds. And uh, I think there's real danger. You've seen the eruption of a civil war. I believe, like Jack Murtha, that uh, another year is enough that we ought to be out of there within a year, now maybe within nine months, You're by sure? the end of the year 2006. And if we're honest, if we say we have no desire for permanent bases and we want the Iraqis to have the benefit of their own oil, uh, if the president is truthful when he said that, we ought to be out by the end of 2006. Congressman McCloskey, you challenged Richard Nixon in 1972. You went up against that same hardball uh, political gang whose excesses were later to become famous in the Watergate scandal. Could you give us a little bit of historical perspective of what that was like to play David to the Goliath of the 72 Nixon White House? Well, it wasn't exactly David and Goliath. I was a lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. A friend of mine got his leg blown off. Uh, I volunteered to go to Vietnam in 1965. Uh, had I been accepted, I, I don't know what would have happened. But I was turned down, and so I ran for Congress two years later. But I think I was the first Republican opposing the war. I didn't think we could win the war. We were spending $30 billion. The Russians were spending $1 billion. Uh, we were tearing apart a country that... Uh, we had promised uh, way back in the 50s would be unified one day after elections. We refused to let the elections be held. We knew Ho Chi Minh would win. Uh, he was the man who would 
led the Vietnamese against the Japanese when they were occupying Vietnam. Uh, it was a terrible mistake and a terrible tragedy, and what, five of 55,000 Americans died in it. Uh, I just, uh, I couldn't stand it. I had 18- and 16-year-old boys, uh, uh, so I challenged Nixon on the war and was practically thrown out of the party. I, I said Nixon was a crook. I'd been at DA. I knew what obstruction of justice was. I made that first speech to impeach Nixon, and of course, 14 months later, we did impeach him exactly for that obstruction of justice. He finally admitted he, he was a crook uh, by resigning when the Supreme Court forced him to turn those tapes over. But uh, Nixon doesn't hold a candle to these people in the White House today. Uh, uh, these are tough people. They believe that the national security of the country requires the George Bush uh, hand at the helm. Uh, this is a man that likes being a wartime president. It's uh, uh, my my debate partner at Sanford Law School had been John Ehrlichman, and I went to see John when he was in jail. Uh, he'd gone from number two man in the White House to being in a federal penitentiary. And I said, John, how could you do these things? What turned you into a criminal uh, from one of the best lawyers that I had known in Seattle? Uh, he finally said, he said, Pete, it took us three and a half years to be corrupted by the power of the White House. That's a pretty significant statement because... This uh, Republican majority in the House has now been in power since 1994, and I think the Abramoff, uh, the Cunningham, the scandals of uh, power and the exchange of access for money and the huge amounts of money poured in by the lobbyists into the Republican leadership, uh, that's essentially why I'm running. I would love to clean up the Republican reputation for honor and ethics and integrity in the House of Representatives. I serve with a whole lot of fine Republicans, uh, Jerry Ford, uh, Barry Goldwater, Bob Dole. These were honorable men. Uh, the people running the House today, their creed is the money from the big lobbyists. That K Street money machine is governing this country. You already answered the question I, I, I couldn't help uh, that I was I was itching to ask, but I, I just want to note that when we, when we asked George McGovern, about looking back at what he thought of Nixon, he said, he looked pretty good to him looking back 30 years later and thought he'd be a better president now than the one that we have. I, I've seen bumper stickers saying, I never thought I'd miss Nixon. <laughs> you certainly, in your 17 years in Washington, met and worked with uh, many of the names, really, in high office. Can, can you cite a few people who you really uh, especially respected and tell us why? Well, I'll tell you, Barry Goldwater was more cons conservative than I was, but he was an honorable man. And he would roll over in his grave if he saw these people declaiming that they're neoconservatives today. Uh, I thought Jerry Ford was one of the most decent men I ever saw in politics. The finest man I ever saw as a pure member of Congress was Mo Udall, a Democrat from Arizona. His brother, Stuart Udall, was a fine Secretary of Interior. Uh, Ed Levy, who became Attorney General under Jerry Ford, uh, one of the great attorney generals, who was not a political appointment and didn't use the office for political purposes like Nixon, the attorney general, did, and uh, Gonzalez and uh, John Ashbrook have disgraced that office, in my opinion, uh, today. But the respect for the law, uh, Sandy Day O'Connor, she was a year behind me in law school. I think she's done a marvelous job on the Supreme Court. Her recent statement that uh, the country was in danger because the politicians were criticizing the courts. This fellow Pombo has introduced a bill to override the Supreme Court and constitutional decisions by a two-thirds vote of the House and Senate. That's wow. crazy. That gives up 200 years of the check and balance of an independent judiciary. But I knew good people. Margaret Chase Smith, currently Olympia Snow, Susan Collins of Maine, 
Bain and Arizona have always sent good people. I disagree with John McCain, but he's a straight shooter. Many people in California thought that Governor Schwarzenegger might be become a leading moderate for the Republican Party. Some people... <laughs> Yeah, you know, you never know what he's going to do. I, I voted for him against Gray Davis. I thought he was right in Prop 77 to take the redistricting power away from members of Congress. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's got an incredibly intelligent, idealistic wife, uh, a daughter of Sergeant Shriver, the first founder of the Peace Corps. And I think Schwarzenegger would like to do the right thing. Uh, he's new at it, but you got to hope good things will happen. You mentioned redistricting, Congressman. I'm looking at in front of me right now a map of the 11th District. It looks like a seahorse. It includes Danville with Morgan Hill, Brentwood with Lodi. It clearly was drawn by someone in the legislature to, to, to ensure a Republican victory. Can you comment on the need for independent redistricting? Well, I think there has to be in the 11th District, just like you've described. It's four counties or parts of four counties and crosses three mountain ranges. It goes all the way down to the Pacheco Pass and <laughs> then reaches out with one claw and picks a little town called Morgan Hill. It divides Contra Costa County in half. It divides Alameda County in half. Uh, that's one reason I'm a Republican. This was done by a Democratic legislature, Democratic majority, that in order to preserve every Democrat's incumbency, they guarantee the preservation of every Republican incumbency, and that that makes 553 congressional districts. People say, well, what does my vote count? The registration is so great that either a Democrat's going to win in some districts or a Republican in another, and the public faith in the process uh, uh, goes down the tubes because people think their votes don't matter. I think that redistricting uh, has got to be put in the hands of an independent panel, not of politicians. I I'll tell you one other thing. I think we've got to get rid of the six-year term limits uh, in the Assembly. I think the term limits have killed the quality of the legislature. Uh, you don't have people there long enough to learn the history and the background and the needs of the country for the state, for education, health, any number of things, garbage collection, clean air. You're only there six years. It took me five years to become competent in the Congress, ten years to become effective. And yet today's legislators are termed out before they can become effective. And I think we've got to double the term limits. I think it's got to go from 6 to 12, for the, at least for the Assembly, and 8 to 16 um, for the Senate. Well, sir, you're facing a congressman at this point who's evidently been taking into the, the right wing's inner circle. He's got plenty of money. What's your strategy to beat him? We hope to beat him by uh, walking the precincts, uh, telling the people about him. Most of the people in his own district don't know that he has been nominated as the, one of the 13 most corrupt members of Congress. He's one of the first six inductees into the Congressional Hall of Shame. If that gets out in his district, uh, I think even staunch Republicans will be embarrassed enough to turn him out in the June 6th primary. I hope so. Most of his money comes from oil companies, or he's taken money from the Japanese whaling conference and the International Federation of Fur, Fur Traders. He's speaking on Earth Day to the Safari Club over these guys at you know, go out and hunt uh, captured elephants or something that are turned loose out of cages. It's a little like Dick Cheney, you know, on his, on his dove hunt. They turn the doves out of the cages 100 yards in front of him, and even then Cheney swings around and hits the guy at 30 yards over there wearing an orange vest. These are the people running the country. I, I, uh, I mean, it's fun running. I, I have a farm in Yolo County. I had to move 90 miles south to, uh, to Lodi to be in the district. But these are good people, and I, uh, I just wish it were longer to get the word out about how bad Pombo is. Well, Congressman, what's your website? People are going to want to know that. Where, where can we send them on the web? 
PeteMcCloskey.com. Anybody turn it on. A lot better to have a lot of money from a lot of people in small amounts than what this guy does of taking $500,000 from Indian tribes. He hadn't got an Indian tribe in his district, or at least not one that has a Indian casino. Since you mentioned that, you're familiar with uh, the, the casinos in Yolo County and Cape Bay Valley and such. Do you- I have a horse ranch three miles south and an orange and olive farm uh, 12 miles north. And my, my ranch foreman has a hard time getting his tractor between the two farms because the traffic is so heavy to that Cash Creek Casino. But I will say that that particular tribe has put a lot of money back into the local county uh, uh, county charities and county good causes. But uh, I'll tell you, we used to have a, a nice country road. We lose about a farmer every three months in a head-on collision with somebody either uh, rushing to get to gamble or rushing home after gambling. Well, final question, Congressman. If Richard Pombo uh, should win, are you going to work to try and defeat him in November? I won't vote for him in November, and I doubt if anybody uh, that's convinced that I should beat him in June is going to vote for him in November. This man has disgraced the Congress. He's disgraced the Republican Party. He has enriched his family. He's enriched himself, uh, takes a vacation at uh, taxpayer expense, says he's going to seven national parks, shows up maybe at four of them. Uh, You know, he, he, uh, well, I I don't want to say any more. I just want to beat him. Congressman Pete McCloskey, we appreciate very much your speaking with us and hope that before the election day we might uh, talk with you again. Well, I hope so. If you'd like to learn more about the congressional candidacy of Pete McCloskey, you can do so by checking out his website. PeteMcCloskey.com. That's M-C-C-L-O-S-K-E-Y. I know a lot of you may be interested in finding out more about his candidacy and might even wish to help. We would note that Richard Pombo has been named by nonpartisan watchdog groups as one of the first six inductees to the Congressional Hall of Shame. That's from Public Citizen. And one of the 13 most corrupt members of Congress. That's according to the Committee for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. I know that a lot of you out there are not uh, wild about uh, the actions of Richard Pombo, and this is a chance to perhaps do something about that, if that's the way you feel. Let's take a break. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. Sacramento.